So today, I have the pleasure of introducing Reverend Michelle Dwyer. She is speaking here today. For those of you who uh, don't know her, which I don't know if that's many, but for those of you who don't know her, up until about 16 months ago, she served here as the Associate Pastor of Community Life. She is, um, she's been a part of the church for decades, right? Decades, 20 years, 25 years, 24 years. So she has written a book called Fierce Hope that is being released today. And I am just going to give a plug for this book. This is a fantastic book. And she has it here today at the back. We got a lot of copies. So please, please, please pick one up. It's amazing. I think they're like 17 bucks. Reasonable. And also, if you're here in $17, maybe just doesn't quite fit in the budget. Someone has um, bought some extra copies to gift to people. So if that's you, that you would love a gift of this book, head to the back and just say, someone gifted me a copy, and we'll get that for you. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, come to me. I will make sure. This book is Fierce Hope, and that is something that we all need. Fierce hope is also what describes Michelle and what she carries and imparts to those around her. She deeply loves Jesus and longs for others to encounter the kindness and love of Jesus. As, you, as she comes up to preach, you never get trite or shallow sermons. You get substance, you get depth, you get hope. And you get encouragement that Jesus deeply, deeply loves each and every one of you. So please welcome Reverend Michelle Dwyer. That's okay. That's okay. Thank you, friend. Oh, man. For so many reasons, I've been praying. God, just help me not to be a sobbing wreck. And Amy's so good at speaking those blessings that that unravels my heart a little bit in the best possible way. What a privilege to be here with you this morning. A, because I just love talking about hope. Anytime the door is open, I will be there. Um, in a special way, I really wanted this church to be the first place where we can make this book available. Uh, you all have loved me through the learning in this church and extended grace and prayed and it was really important to me that it would be here it would be today and so I'm honored and delighted uh, a couple of things to say about that it's been an interesting journey so only Jesus could have orchestrated that it all worked out even as of yesterday my shipment was still in Edmonton and our friends friends Chad and Serena said we have solutions not problems and they have a fun story of wandering through a warehouse and getting the books. 1,500 books is a pickup load. And they got them here. One other just like side note about the book. Whenever a local person writes a book, everybody wonders, am I in the book? If you're wondering, you're actually not in the book. <laughs> it's that simple. Very few local stories made it in because honor, confidentiality. If I, it did, it was because I talked to you, and the only person whose name you will recognize in there, besides my own and my husband's, obviously, is Amy's, because it would have been really silly not to put Amy's name in there when her stories are so shared here as well. So Amy went downstairs to help with kids. 
There is a little chapter called Amy's Interlude, and she tells a story in there, so now you know two people. Anyway, I could talk all day about hope. In fact, I wrote 150 pages, and I'm writing another book about hope. So we'll see what I can do in 25 minutes. I also just want to acknowledge there's people online, and probably including my mom and dad. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. So much legacy goes into this for me that I just feel really humbled and honored that I can stand here and do this. So I'm going to go to my text, because otherwise I'll talk way too long. Here's my text today. Right out of the book of Luke. It's a word spoken about the coming of Christ. I want you to open your hearts to receive these words. It says, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. Most people who feel an absence of hope would wonder, is God's mercy toward me? And so I want you to let these words go right into you. Because of God's mercy, it's towards you. You might wonder. When I resigned um, from my role here at the church, that was the hardest, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, was letting go of something I knew that was good and delightful and wonderful. And I didn't fully know what God was calling me to. I knew he was calling me to write the book. That was the only thing I knew. And I thought for sure he must have other really good plans because I know him to be good. And so I wrote the book, and the first draft was done December 31st last year. There's a big old process around publishing, and maybe there was possibilities of other things, and doors kept closing. And as many of you know, in August I received a cancer diagnosis. And that was not the good plan I thought God had coming for me. And I'm going to include some of that story here today, not for shock value at all, but because when I talk about fierce hope, I mean hope that's fierce. We're not talking about a whimsical feeling that comes and goes. Those are nice. We're not talking about um, just a cheerful optimism of denial, because that will get you nowhere. It doesn't hold up. The kind of hope I'm talking about is, in fact, fierce. And it is totally and completely rooted in our confidence in the goodness of God whether we can see it in the moment or not. But how do we know he is good? I saw a comment on social media this week that I understood someone talking about there's no point in just having happy feelings. We need action and determination. I understood what they were saying. We must have action and determination. If you only think hope is a flighty emotion, you won't have much value for this message. There's a place for this action and determination but it comes out of a place of encounter with God. If we start there, if we pause before the action, the orientation of our determination will be completely different. And without this, our actions and our lives will feel meaningless, empty, and exhausting. And so we're starting with the definition of the word hope as it is in Scripture, which is a joyful expectation of goodness. Joyful is an emotion, so there is feeling to hope. But it's not just a feeling that comes and goes because we had a great cup of coffee or the Christmas tree lights are nice or for just one minute the kids aren't fighting. It's a joyful expectation that's rooted in something so big 
And that is God's goodness. And this goodness is towards you. It is towards you. Even when you get the terrible diagnosis. Even when the bank account doesn't say what you want it to say. Even when your family members won't talk to you. Hope exists in that waiting place. Because of God's tender mercy. I just want you to take a deep breath and think for a second. It's possibly true. God has tender mercy towards you. He sees you. He sees you. He knows your name. He is not oblivious to you. Because of this, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And to guide us in the path of peace. These words have been so important to me for this Christmas, more than I have ever felt before. I'm aware of that shadow. But we all live there. There are many times that we've allowed that shadow to just not really have much of a voice. That darkness is for those unfortunate seasons, those random accidents, those, those you know, the unlucky days. But mostly we live a comfortable and happy life. But in the last year and a half, it's going on two years now, isn't it? We've all felt that looming shadow. And it has caused us to behave poorly. Out of fear, we have reacted in hatred and anger. We've wanted to control and manage. It does not bring the best out of us. And so here we all live actually always in this shadow, but we've really lived aware of it. And this promise is that Christ, who has come already, this is what we're celebrating at Christmas, he is the light that's shining into that space. And so the thing about light and shadow is, if you turn away from the light, you only have darkness. There, you block out the light by turning away from it. You understand what I'm saying? And when you turn to the light and you open yourself up to receive the light... You know the shadow's still there. It's not going away for a while yet. Until Christ comes again, there will be death. But when we live facing the light and open to the light, that shadow is in the background. It's not the main thing. Now, some of you might be wondering, because we are practical and sensible people, I totally lost my place in my notes already. Back at it, Michelle. How we sustain joyful expectation. When sometimes that looming shadow roars, it roars. And it feels like it's consuming all of our senses. I'm so glad you asked, how on earth could we live with a joyful sense of expectation of goodness? So we have to define a few things. First of all, what is God's goodness and how are we expecting it? When I was a kid, and my mom would take us to the grocery store, some things have never changed. Like all children, we would whine, belly ache, moan, and wail for the food that was not good for us. You are familiar with this scenario? Children do this. See, I got a smile out of a kid who's done it. I love it. And so my mom would, um, back then we just called it bribery, but now I think we call it motivation. The 70s were a barbaric time. And parents could bribe their children then. And at the till would be these little bundles of lollipops. I don't know. Some of you remember them. And if we behaved all the way through the store, we could have a lollipop at the till. If we didn't behave, my mom wouldn't give us. She wouldn't. 
So what does that make of my mom? That makes my mom a good mom. But we would say she was a mean mom. And you know what she would say to me? The same thing I've said to my own beautiful children. A mean mom's a good mom. Now, I'm not saying for a minute and a half, even, that God is mean. But our understanding of his goodness needs an adjustment. It's an immature understanding of his goodness to be, he didn't show up the way I wanted him to, therefore he's not good. Everyone in this room, everyone watching online has suffered pain because of evil. We all have. That evil is not what defines God's goodness. The absence of it does not define God's goodness. God's goodness is rooted in his nature and its character. It's who he is. The only way you can know it is actually to know him. You have to get to know him. That's why I love this book. It's full of it. His goodness, stories of how his nature and character works. And this room is full of his stories. I saw a miracle of provision already this morning. A financial provision for someone. We have stories of his goodness. It's so easy to forget the light of that that fuels our hope when we're consumed with the darkness, when the roar is drowning out the sound. Now, I don't want you to think that this comes easy for some of us and not others. I've already been honest with you about my story and the place that I'm walking right now. I have seen cancer, I have seen cancer supernatural. We are going to try that one again. Maybe I'll take a drink. How's that? <laughs> I have seen cancer supernaturally, miraculously healed five times in my life, like not a story I read somewhere else, a diagnosis, prayer, and healing, identified and named by doctors. I know that God heals cancer. He actually does. I have watched people walk the long journey of treatment and seen the faithfulness of God in that. I know God moves that way. And I also have officiated at many, many funerals. So my own diagnosis wasn't theoretical for me at all. I had a confident expectation of God's goodness. Maybe I would be one of those miracles. So far, no deal. I have seen his goodness along the way. And in the meantime, we've lost a friend to a similar diagnosis. That's when you stay awake at midnight. How do you pray then? You're looking at me going, well, girl, you're the pastor. <laughs> you tell me. When the shadow is big and dark, we cry out to the light. And I got nothing except God. I need you to speak to me because I don't even know right now how to have a sense of joyful expectation. It is not something I'm going to conjure up by happy feelings right now. I need to hear from you. And of course, he has to wake me up several hours later because that's the only time I'm quiet. So at about 2 a.m. or somewhere thereabouts in there, anybody else meet with God at that hour? He speaks loud and clear then, and I still am convinced it's because I'm quiet then. And I woke up with three names in my head, Paul, Silas, and Joseph. Okay, but I knew right away. Now... Y'all have some lunches to get to, so I can't tell you the whole stories, but I'm going to nutshell these stories for you. I knew right away what God was saying to me. 
Paul and Silas, Acts 16. You should read it later. It's a fabulous story. Paul and Silas are telling people the good news that this light has come and that death doesn't have to have the last word for them. And as they're going through the city of Philippi, there's a young woman there who is possessed and oppressed by demons. She's a slave girl. People use her and this gift to make money off of her. The demonic presence in her recognizes the light of Jesus and Paul and hates that. So she's following them around, harassing them. I, I really like these Bible stories, you guys. He turns around and he just like tells that demon where to go. And now she doesn't tell fortunes. She's following around and saying, these men know Christ, the one who's come to save us. That uh, poked her owners in the pocketbook, of course. Now they're not making money off of her, so they get Paul and Silas arrested. It says they were stripped, you know what that means, and beaten severely. And then they were thrown into prison. At about midnight, Paul and Silas begin to sing songs. If you know me well, you know so many reasons I like the story. They sing songs. And the prison doors burst open. And Paul and Silas are like, wow. And everybody else in the prison is like, wow. And the jailer is going to actually kill himself. Because if all these prisoners get out, his, his life is already over. So he may as well beat them to it. Paul and Silas tell him about Jesus. They repent of their sins. Everyone in the prison says, we need to know this Christ that you're talking about. And they all get baptized that day. Does anybody want a ministry day like that? I am signing up for this story. Uh, how many of you know the Joseph story? Technicolor dream coat. Joseph in the coat of many colors. He has dreams. In his dreams, God shows that he's someday going to be a ruler over his family and others. His brothers don't like that story. They sell him to slave traders. Is that a good idea? Is that any way for an older brother to treat a younger brother? He's sold into slavery. Doesn't tell us Joseph sang a song at midnight. But at some point we know he scraped himself up off the floor and got to work. Sometimes our work, our determined action is our worship. In hard places. We demonstrate hope by getting up again. And so all goes well for Joseph because there is favor on us when we use the gifts that God gave us. But he's terribly good looking, and this is a problem some of you also have. Terribly good looking. And because of that, his master's wife got her eyes on him. And when he did not respond in kind, she lied about him and he goes back to prison. Is this fair? It's every kind of injustice and all kinds of wrong. And he lands in prison again, and I am sure that he laid on the floor and he wept. Probably for a long time, but at some time, he got up again, scraped himself off the floor, and got back to work using the gifts God gave him. And he was raised to favor again. And you know the story. Pharaoh has dreams. Pharaoh hears about Joseph. Joseph comes out of prison. But I want you to know this is 13 years later. 13 years of injustice and mistreatment. But Joseph has been faithful, and he's raised to favor at Pharaoh's right hand. And because he listens to God and he shares the strategies God's giving to him, he saves two nations from starvation. This is a big deal. So why did I wake up at 2 a.m. with these names in my head when I have cried out to God? 
I don't know how to have joyful expectation of goodness right now. Here's why the Lord was saying, asking me, in which story was I good? In which story was God good? You know the answer. He was good in both of them. He was good in both of them. It's easy for me to brush past the, the beating part to the song at midnight that makes the doors split, fly open. We'll try a whole different word. I get that. I can do that. I am signing up for that level of suffering. Quick, quick, get it over with. Miracle, boom. Is it less of a miracle in Joseph's story? What happened? It's actually not. I don't want the 13-year version. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 105, 19. It says, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. What if in your long wait, God is preparing you for something else if you will yield to the work that he's doing in this season? Because he's doing something in this season. He's relentlessly good. He's never stopped being good. Nothing no plague, no pandemic, no virus, no decree can stop his goodness. It actually can't. No diagnosis can stop his goodness. We just get to either embrace the darkness and wallow in it, or we cry out in the night for the light to come. And he always comes because he has tender mercy towards you. Always. It's who he is and it's what he does. He does not cause the suffering, but he redeems it. At the end of Joseph's story, when he sees his brothers, they're scared to death, as they should be. They have been evil and wicked. And Joseph extends forgiveness to them. This is how we embrace the light. This is how we get healed. And he says to them in Genesis 50, he says, you intended to harm me. See, there's no denial. There's wickedness. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Would you embrace the process he has for you in the suffering that he did not cause so you can be part of his redemption story? I know you would. See, perspective, looking at the big picture, sustains our hope in the moment. He is this good. And he has promised. He has promised he will bring good out of your suffering if you yield to him in it. We see this all through the Christmas story. Do you think Joseph and Mary thought it was a good idea to ride a donkey under an oppressive government to another town when she was nine months pregnant? Would some of you might say something like stupid government? I had to sneak that in there. <laughs> you might. Was it an evil, oppressive government? Was she actually nine months pregnant and cruelly having to ride a donkey? Any of you women signing up for that? So, was it unjust and unfair or was God doing something? Well, actually, both are true. Both are true. Because God always will be doing something to, for those who say yes to him. And Mary and Joseph had that opportunity and they both said yes. So they probably didn't know what God was doing at the time. But there had been a prophecy that the Christ child would be born in Bethlehem. They needed to get to Bethlehem. 
And the fact that the means of that was some kind of injustice, injustice happens on this broken earth because there's sin and brokenness. But God, but God, but God, but God. Just put that, sent, that phrase in your sentence right now, in your place of your despair and your waiting. But God. Here's what, but God. Many of us could quote Romans 8.28 right off the top of our head. We know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according for his purpose for them. This isn't a happy bandage to throw on someone else's suffering. Please don't do that. But it is a profound truth to cling to at 2 a.m. By God, we'll take even this and make something beautiful and redemptive out of it because he has tender mercy towards you. So, now what? This Christmas story continues on into the Easter story you know well. Christ died brutally, unjustly, unfairly, and he rose again. And scripture says that that power of that resurrection is for you and I too, so that we no longer have to fear death. What if we didn't fear death? What if we didn't fear that looming shadow? What if it did not have the last word? But because we had opened our hearts to the light of his love that is breaking in on us because of his mercy, we would be so consumed with loving God and loving each other that the shadow would not dictate our actions. This can happen for all of us. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is planted in you when you receive Christ. It is possible for you to live a fearless life that is dangerous because you're more consumed with loving God and loving each other than avoiding death. This is hope. That kind of hope is so countercultural and so subversive, it will in fact be truly dangerous and it will change the world. It actually will. Death does not have the last word when we embrace the life of Christ. If we truly believe this, not making light at all of that shadow, it's very real. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be reckless or careless. I am saying the most important thing right now is not avoiding death, but living as a beacon of hope. Pointing to a bigger story than the brief number of our days. You see, those stories I told you, Paul and Silas, of Joseph, of Mary and Joseph, they all had a finite number of days. Their assignment really mattered. What they did really mattered. God had an assignment for them to be part of redemption story. He has one for you. You are part of his redemption story with this resurrection life inside of you that is not afraid of death, that is consumed with loving God and loving others. Matters. You make all the difference when you show up like that. All these people had a finite number of days. Their assignment in their days mattered and they left a legacy. Every one of them. Not only were their lives changed, but the lives that came after them were changed. I want to bless you with the courage that looks at that bigger story. It is easy to feel the pull of apathy 
self-pity, hopelessness, and despair. I have been there, you guys, more than once. I wrote the book. And then I got tested again. I was like, no, 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 no. I already passed all those tests and I put them in the book. I don't need this one too. And there have been days, and there could be more, where it just felt like I can't even. And I would think about the book, and I'd think about all of you. And then I would think, darn it, it's true. I'll get back up again. Because I know it's true. We fuel our hope with this big perspective and remembering what God has done. That's why I read this book. It's why I sing songs, because that's one of my ways to really connect to who God is. And it's why I talk to you. As I look out here, I've been here long enough, as Amy pointed out, a mere 24 years. And I'm looking, I'm like, oh, I know that. And, that, and there's a story, and there's a story. And this room is full of stories of God's faithfulness through hard times. Of his faithfulness that made it so death and destruction didn't have the last word. And when our days are done, because they will be done, death still doesn't have the last word. Would you open yourself up to the light of Christ? I'm going to invite you to stand with me. In Psalm 18, the words of David are recorded. David was in his own dark space. He was in a cave. Being chased by injustice and cruelty. And he said, God, you light a lamp for me. And you light up my darkness. Can I just ask you to pause right here? I want to say, what's your problem? But where are you waiting? Just take a minute and close your eyes. There's people here who's going to experience a miracle today. I've already seen one. And there's people here who are just going to get fuel on the fire and the passion of the hope they already have strategy for moving forward in the pathway of peace. And so God, in this place, we acknowledge to you that we feel sorrow in our humanity and in our weakness. Sometimes we are overwhelmed. And the shadow is real. But we don't want to live according to the dictates of that darkness. And so we turn to you again. If you've never opened your heart up to that light, this is a good time to do that. You don't have to have it all sorted out or understand the details or even wonder what it all means. Just now you can say, come Jesus and light up my darkness. I need you. God, for those who are here who already have a a strong hope today. They're in a season where hope is feeling strong. Would you multiply that hope exponentially and make them truly dangerous? Father, for every one of us, would you fuel our hope in a fresh way today so that we can live without fear of the shadow? We ask that you would fill us afresh with that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that isn't flinching, that's not going to blink. Would you take away our fear, God? We give it to you actively. We give you that fear. And would you help us, Lord, to be consumed by love for you and love for each other? By your mercy, God. 
as we go through these Christmas holidays, would you give us strategy for reconciliation where they're needed? And where we sit with our disappointment, we look to you, Emmanuel, to be present with us in that space. Would you remind us of your goodness and fill us with fresh faith for more? We ask this in Jesus' name.